0: All right, praises be to our loving Abba that we are able to gather once again to study his words and his commandments. We're studying at present the book of Revelation. So we are in Revelation chapter 16. Revelation goes all the way to chapter 22. So we are almost near the end of our journey in Revelation. So we are talking today about the seven bowls of wrath, which should remind us. Of the timeline of the book of Revelation, because when we first discussed the timeline of the book of Revelation, we started with seven seals and then seven trumpets. And then now we have the seven bowls of Yahuwah Abba's wrath. And so let's go ahead and look first before we jump into chapter 16 of the book of Revelation, a kind of summary of the Revelation timeline. So, Revelation timeline began with Yahushua's message to the Apostle John. And he was instructed around 90 AD to send a message to the seven assemblies. So the timeline begins with between 90 to 280 AD, the seven assemblies, which are literal congregations across Asia Minor. And this is what we are currently studying in our worship service lessons series. And so after the seven assemblies comes the seven seals. The seven seals uh, are constructed or are given to us in seven uh, distinct episodes or seven distinct events that will unfold. So we studied all about these seven seals. And if you are interested in the seven seals, we have the entire series in our Bible study website or in our YouTube, or I believe it's also in Vimeo. So if you're interested, you want to know more about the seven assemblies or the seven seals, please refer to our website, our Facebook page, our YouTube page, and Vimeo as well. So anyways, seven seals comprises of seven distinct uh, events. And it began in in 534 AD, the first seal, which was fulfilled in the papacy. And then 800 AD, the second seal, which was terrorism. And then 1000 AD, third seal, feudalism and serfdom. And in 1279 AD to 1351, the fourth seal, which was death, which took on the form of war, famine, and disease. This was followed by 1524 to 1651, the fifth seal, martyrdom for the word of God. And in 1755 to 1833, the sixth seal, which are terrifying natural events causing fear, of judgment. This was in distinct events as well. Lisbon earthquake, 1755, far, followed by the Dark Bay in New England, 1780, then the Leon- Leonid meteor shower, 1833, and concludes with the Sumatra megathrust earthquake, November 24, 1833. The Seventh Seal we t- was about the Tum- Tumuska blast. And as you can see, the series of consecutive historical events which was the fulfillment of the prophecy given to the apostle John when he outlined the seven seal event. So after the seven seals, of course, we have the seven trumpets. The seven trumpets began with trumpet number one, which corresponds to the 1914 World War, and then 1939, trumpet number two, World War number two, and then 1986, trumpet number three, Chernobyl or the Wormwood Explosion, And in 2000, the Trumpet trumpet 4, which was global dimming. And in 2010, Trumpet 5, the Deepwater Horizon oil spill. And Trumpet 6, which we believe has not yet been fulfilled. But when we look at the description of Trumpet number 6, it begins with a world war involving an army of 200 million. And we have the rise of the two witnesses, the rise of the beast, the resurrection and ascension of the two witnesses. So we are awaiting these events, which according to the book of Revelation is going to happen quite soon. Afterwards, we have trumpet number seven, which is the harpazo, which is the catching up of the people of Elohim into the air to meet with our King Yahusha to receive everlasting life. Now, when we look at the seven seals, and the seven trumpets, you probably notice something. When we look at the seven seals, the gap of time, the interval of time between one seal to the next, it's in the span of about hundreds of years. But when we look at the interval between the events in the seven trumpets, the span of time, the gap between the two trumpet events it's no longer hundreds of years, but decades, right? So it's getting shorter and shorter, much like the labor pains of a woman who is in labor about to give birth to a child, which is what our King Yahushua talked about concerning the end times about events is likened to the the, the pangs of childbirth when a woman is going through uh, pregnancy. So we have the harpazo event. And so those who belong to Yahusha, they're going to be harpazoed. They're going to be taken to heaven. And there's going to be people who are left behind. However, the people who are left behind, many of them are elect of Allahim and they're being prepared. They're going to go through a lot of tribulation and its purpose is to teach them to place their trust in Yahuwah. So people left behind can still receive salvation provided they do not follow the beast. And so we know that after the harpazo, the devil is going to be confined upon the earth. And so he's going to pour his wrath upon the earth. This is why the Bible says, woe to those who are inhabitants of the earth when this happens. And because the devil is going to take over the earth, of course, the beast is going to rise uh, in power. He's going to dominate uh, the world and persecute those who want to worship Yahuwah and Yahusha. Now, Speaking of the beast, we talked about the beast, and the beast having his power from the devil, and he has a partner, the false prophet, and so collectively they're going to deceive the whole world and prevent people from receiving salvation, and so they're going to dominate the entire world using the power given to them by the enemy. Now, this beast, well, how can he be recognized? Where will his main headquarters be? We'll get a clue in the book of 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 to 4. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, Or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So the Bible tells us about the man of sin, the son of perdition. This, of course, refers to the final iteration of the Antichrist. He is the beast, the Antichrist, not simply an Antichrist, but the man of sin or the son of perdition. And what will he eventually do? Eventually, he's going to sit in the temple of God, and he will exalt himself above all that is called God. In other words, when the devil is confined to the earth, after the harpazo event, this beast is going to rise into even higher levels of power to the point he's going to sit as though he was God in the temple of This is why there is a temple being rebuilt today. Just to make a clarification, the temple being rebuilt today in Israel, that's not for us. Okay? Um, We're not going to, we actually will not use that temple at all. This temple is going to be rebuilt according to prophecy. Something will happen to that temple. One of the things that will happen to that temple is the son of, uh, the man of sin, the son of perdition is going to occupy the throne. In other words, that temple will be his headquarters to fulfill prophecy. What prophecy? Not only Second Thessalonians, but also Daniel 9.27. He will confirm a covenant with many for one, seven. This is considered the last seven years of tribulation, although the main tribulation will come after the midpoint because in the middle of the seven, He, the Antichrist, will put an end to sacrifice and offering and on a wing of the temple. And so there's going to be a future temple. And this beast or Antichrist is going to occupy the temple's throne. And on the wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation. In other words, he will present himself to be the one who is to be worshipped. And proclaim himself to be God and receive the worship of the people through the leadership of the false prophet and through the guidance and empowerment of the devil himself. So he's going to cause the abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. So according to scripture, yes, the beast will rise into power. However, there is an end that is decreed or poured out on him. And so when this beast rises into power and he dominates the world and is persecuting and killing the people who profess faith in Yahusha, there's an end for him. And that end comes in the form of the seven bowls of wrath. And so we have now the revelation timeline, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and then the seven bowls of wrath. And so let's take a look at these events which is going to happen really fast, one right after the other. If the seven seals took a span of hundreds of years and the seven trumpets decades, this will take, I believe, days and weeks or probably even shorter. It's going to be one after the other. It's going to be really fast. The seven bowls of wrath. What's the purpose of the seven bowls of wrath? Let's read the book of Revelation 16, verse one. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on earth. Remember those who remain on earth are those who are left behind and those who receive the mark of the beast. is going to be two distinct kinds of people, those who receive the mark of the beast. And so they pledge loyalty to the beast And those who refuse the mark of the beast and pledge their loyalty to Yahusha. This is why during this time, there's an opportunity for people to still receive salvation, provided they reject the beast, they reject the Antichrist, and they follow our king, Yahusha. And so because they're going to have control of everything, because in our previous studies, we know that they control commerce, they control the internet, they control the government finances. And so they're going to really persecute those who do not have the mark of the beast. And so to help the, the people who are left behind so that they can endure the, the suffering, Yahuwah will pour out the bowls of wrath. The bowls of wrath is specifically for those who are of the beast. And so the bowls of wrath, to what are they likened to? We read Revelation 16.1. The passage right before that reveals something about the bowls of wrath. What is that? Let's go back to Revelation 15, 8. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. And so we know when the seventh trumpet sounds, the harpazo event takes place. It was also an announcement there's going to be a new kingdom to be installed, but before this kingdom becomes functioning, we need to remove first the existing kingdoms, including the kingdom led led by the beast. So to carry this out, there's going to be seven plagues, which are the seven bowls of wrath. So the bowls of wrath are also called what? Plagues. Seven bowls of wrath are seven plagues that will be poured out Upon the earth. Something to keep in mind. So the, the, the bowls are called plagues. Not only that. In Revelation 11 verse 8. In the headquarters. The city where the headquarters of the beast. What is it likened to? What is it called? That city. Let's read Revelation 11 8. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city. Which spiritually is called Sodom. And Egypt where also our Lord was crucified. So that city, Jerusalem, where eventually the Antichrist, the beast, will make at its as its headquarters. The Bible calls it, during that time, Sodom and Egypt. When we think of Sodom and Egypt, we know they're not in good standing with Yahuwah. And so that great city where also Yehusha was crucified, Jerusalem, it's going to be called Sodom and Egypt. And so what we have here is some kind of pattern. We have the plagues. We have Egypt. What comes to mind when you put the two together? Plagues and Egypt. We actually uh, posted this on our discipleship training uh, program Facebook private page. And we, I posted this as an assignment, and the question is, why do you think Yahuwah Allahim used these 10 plagues against Pharaoh? Do you think this pattern will repeat in the end times? Please write your answers in the comments below, and we're so pleased with the comments that came out because there was one who said these plagues were used because during the days of Israel in Egypt, the Egyptians well, they followed and obeyed and worship local gods like the God of the frogs, right? The God of uh, flies, the God of the cows. And so, Yahuwah used these plagues to basically mock the Egyptian false gods. And so, the plagues were used to kind of mock the Pharaoh and the Egyptians. One of the One of our brothers kind of mentioned that comment. It was actually very insightful. And also... When we ask the question, what um, do you think this pattern will repeat in the end times? We're so pleased because many were able to catch that right away. Many were able to make the connection and they were able to see, you know what, this pattern of the Exodus, it seems like it's going to repeat itself when you read the book of Revelation chapter 16. So we're going to establish that connection because we believe that the 10 plagues of Egypt, the Pharaoh, the deliverance of Israel, all of that that is described in Exodus is going to is hap- is happen again when the plagues or the bowls of wrath are going to release, be, be released upon the earth. So there seems to be a repetition of the Exodus pattern. So we have Pharaoh that corresponds to the beast or the Antichrist. We have Israel during the days of um, Pharaoh that corresponds to the people who were being prepared to be delivered. We have the plagues, the 10 plagues, that corresponds to the seven bowls of wrath that will be used by Yahuwah to deliver his people, Israel, so that they can also receive salvation when the millennial kingdom is established. So all of these patterns that was fulfilled in the time of the Pharaoh and Egypt and the Old Testament is going to repeat itself. It's going to find a final fulfillment during the end times during the outpouring of the wrath. So let's look at the 10 plagues of Egypt, water turning to blood, the amphibians or frogs, the gnats, the flies, disease on livestock, unbearable uh, boils, hail and fire, locusts, darkness, death of firstborn. Let's go ahead and put to the test our idea that the bowls of wrath, it basically represents the 10 plagues of Egypt that's going to be poured out upon the earth. So let's look at the first bowl of wrath, Revelation 16 verse 2. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth. And a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. And so when the first bowl of wrath was poured out upon the earth, we notice who the targets were, right? Who were the targets? People specific people who had the mark of the beast and those who worship his image. And so we can see that the purpose of these seven bowls of wrath, it is basically to eradicate the power of the beast until finally the beast, the false prophet and the devil will be cast into the lake of fire. So that's the purpose of the bowls of wrath. And one of the first bowls of wrath events is when a foul and loathsome sore will come upon the people who worship the beast. Does this sound familiar? Did this happen before? It has happened during the Exodus? Yeah, because one of the 10 plagues is the unbearable, unhealable boils. And when we look at Exodus 9, 8 to 10, So Yahuwah said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourselves handfuls of ashes from a furnace, and let Moses scatter it toward the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh. And it will become fine dust in all the land of Egypt. And it will cause boils that break out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. Then they took ashes from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh and Moses scattered them toward heaven. And they caused boils that break out in sores on man and beast. So we can see. That the first bowl of wrath, well, it has a match in one of the plagues uh, to Egypt. So that's the first bowl of wrath. Well, how about the second bowl of wrath? What is that all about? Let's read Revelation sixteen three. And the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man. And every living creature in the sea died. And so this should ring a bell, right? What happens when the seventh, uh, the second wrath, second bowl of wrath was poured upon the earth. What happened to the seas? Bible says it became blood. Perhaps the living creatures also, a lot of them perish because that represents bloodshed. And so on the sea, we know that the sea became blood. That's the second bowl of wrath. We know in Exodus, something similar happened in 20 to 21, and Moses and Aaron did so just as Yahuwah commanded. So he lifted up the rod and struck the waters that were in the river, in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. The fish that were in the river died, the river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river. So there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. So during the Exodus event, During the time of Pharaoh in Egypt and Israel there in Egypt as slaves, we know that when this plague hit the rivers, the source of fresh water to drink, it was affected, right? And so the people could not drink the water of the river. It turns out the third bowl of wrath is also about water turning into blood. This time it's not the sea that turned into blood. According to Revelation, what will turn into blood as well? Let's read Revelation 16:47. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the water saying, You are righteous, O Yahuwah, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. And I heard another from the altar saying, even so, Yahuwah God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. And so for the third bowl of wrath, the waters turn into blood. But unlike the second bowl of wrath, in the third bowl of wrath, it is it affects not the sea, but the rivers and the springs of water, which is a source of water that people used to drink. And so when this took place, the Bible says that this judgment is just or this judgment is right. is right. It is righteous because the men and the, the beast powers and the people who work for the beast, what do they do to the people of Elohim? We slaughter them, we martyr them because they profess faith in our King Yahusha, and so it's but right. You shed blood, you're going to drink blood, and so this was the judgment of Yahuwah that's going to be poured out upon the earth. I, I don't know how long a person can survive without drinking water. How long can a person survive without food? I mean, don't try, you know, to fast for forty days or forty nights, just like what one of those pastors did. If <laughs> tried to fast for forty days and forty nights, and they died. Um, but how many how long can a person survive without food? How long can a person survive without oxygen? How long can a person survive without water? And so here, this was a big judgment, and this happened when the third bowl of wrath was released upon the earth. but both both the second and the third connects to the waters turning into blood one of the ten plagues of Egypt. Now, let's go to the fourth bowl. Of wrath, Revelation 16, 8 to 9. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. According to scriptures, when the fourth plague was released upon the earth, the people blasphemed the name of God. Why? Because it was a great plague. What was this plague about? Intense heat. The Bible says power was given to him to scorch men with fire. So the fourth angel had this power to scorch men with fire, and the fourth angel poured out his bowl also on the sun. And so there's this fire, there's this intense and great heat, and it brought a lot of suffering and pain upon the earth. And it turns out one of the set, one of the ten plagues. There is the plague of hail and fire. Exodus 9, 23. And Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven. And Yahuwah sent thunder and hail. And fire darted to the ground. And Yahuwah rained hail on the land of Egypt. So Egypt's getting bombarded by a lot of plagues during the days of Pharaoh, right? And during the days of... The end times, at the end of the age, there's also going to be a lot of heat, a lot of fire that's going to destroy the city. We're not surprised by this, because as we look at the pattern of the Old Testament and the New Testament, it tells us that the place that is being attacked, because it's the main headquarters of the beast, is likened not only to Egypt, but it's also likened to what city? Huh? Sodom right the great city was uh, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt where also Yahuwah was crucified this is why that great city where the, the the antichrist is the leader and the king is going to be destroyed prophetically by fire the same way Sodom was destroyed and so in the book of Genesis uh This is what happened to Sodom. Then Yahuwah rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from Yahuwah out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. And so the Old Testament tells us what happened to Sodom. And so this tells us in the future, this place where the Antichrist is going to be using as its main headquarters is also going to be destroyed by fire, so that's the fourth bowl intense heat and fire the fifth bowl of wrath is in revelation 16 10 to 11 then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom became full of darkness and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain they blasphemed the god of heaven because of their pains and their sores and did not repent of their deeds. And so in the fifth bowl of wrath, the Bible describes there's going to be darkness that will overcome the kingdom, which basically is the whole world. There's going to be, there's going to be darkness upon the kingdom. And this darkness is going to also bring a lot of pain because the Bible says they nod their tongues because of the pain, I don't know if that reminds you of something like uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Remember that phrase about weeping and gnashing of teeth? And so when the four, the fifth angel pours out his bowl, there's going to be darkness. And darkness is, is something which which is also the um, one of the ten uh, plagues of Egypt, right? Exodus 10, 21 to 29 speaks of the plague of darkness in Exodus 10, 21 to 23. Then Yahuwah said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings and so the Bible says when the plague of darkness struck Egypt during the days of Pharaoh and the days of Moses this darkness was so immense it can be felt and there's this thick darkness covered all the land of Egypt for three days why three days it's a good question that's your assignment Remember, every detail in the Holy Bible is there for a reason. Why was there three days of darkness in the land of Egypt? What could be the reason for the three days? I want you to find out. Okay. That's your assignment. We'll talk about it when you, maybe in our discipleship training program post. Okay. Anyways, so what we find in the, the fourth and fifth uh, outpouring of the bowls of wrath, we have fire and darkness. We know darkness, it represents um, punishment because in the parable of our king Yahushua, cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we know that the lake of fire or punishment in everlasting torment, is also likened to everlasting darkness or outer darkness. And so what we have with the fire and the darkness is basically a preview of the lake of fire. So the fire and the darkness of the fourth and fifth bowls are a preview of the lake of fire. So those are the first five bowls of wrath. The sixth one is very interesting. Six bowls of wrath, according to Revelation 16, 12 to 14, is as follows. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet for they are spirits of demons performing signs, which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God almighty. And so that's, What's going to happen when the sixth bowl of wrath is poured out upon the earth? Now, when the sixth bowl of wrath is poured out, it mentions frogs, right? And this should also help. uh, We should be reminded again of the 10 plagues, because in one of the 10 plagues was the plague of frogs. You might think, how can a frog be a plague? How can a frog be something harmful? Well, I guess when you have too much of them, because in the plague of the frogs, this is what happened. Exodus 8, 1 to 7, and Yahuwah spoke to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, thus says Yahuwah, let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all your territory with frogs. So the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into your house into your bedroom, on your bed, in the houses of your servants, on your people, into your ovens and into your kneading bowls. That's why it's pretty bad. (laughs) Nothing wrong with frogs per se, but if they're in your kneading bowls and in your beds, in your bedroom and in your ovens, that's pretty problematic. And the frog shall come upon you, on your people and all your servants. And Yahweh spoke to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your rod over the streams, over the rivers, and over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And and the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs from the land of Egypt. And so according to one of the ten plagues, the plague of frogs was pretty problematic because it overwhelmed the people in the land of Egypt. So that's the plague of frogs. However, how will the frogs be a plague in the outpouring of the wrath of God when it represents the sixth bowl? How will that play out? What's the, what will be the role of the frogs in this case? Let's go back to Revelation 16, 12 to 14. It mentions when the sixth angel pours his bowl, he pours it on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up. So that's something we need to keep in mind. Well, where is the river Euphrates located? This is a map. And as you can see, there is the river Euphrates in red. You see it? Right? so there's the river Euphrates to its left we find Jerusalem okay so that's Jerusalem that's Israel and so the bible says when the seventh the, the sixth bowl of wrath is poured out the euphrates river is going to dry up now some of you might be saying well isn't this happening now yeah i mean when you look at the euphrates river it is drying up right However, that drying up is different from this drying up. The drying up of the Euphrates River has a purpose. What is the purpose of the drying up of the Euphrates River? Let's go back to Revelation 16, 12 to 14. It says here, so that, so that's the connection, right? There's a reason why the Euphrates River is going to dry up. That reason is so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And so the purpose of the Euphrates River drying up is to prepare the way for the kings from the east. So when we look at the map, here's the map. There's a Euphrates River. There's Israel. There's Jerusalem. The Euphrates River is going to dry up. So that these kings who will come from the east will cross the Euphrates River and they will go to a certain place. We'll find out later on what that place is, why this has to happen, and what the purpose of this is. However, when we look at the uh, this prophecy of the kings of the east who will come from the east and cross the Euphrates rivers, the, the Euphrates River, there is one religion. Not going to mention the name. There's one religion today who teaches that the kings from the east refers to them. They refer to themselves as kings and priests of of, uh, of Jesus Christ, right? And so they are from the east, they're from the Far East and so they're going to cross the Euphrates River when the Euphrates River dries up and in their interpretation of the the Bible, the Euphrates River that's drying up refers to the Catholic Church. And so when the Catholic Church dries up, Then that prepares the way for this church to cross the Euphrates River. So they refer to themselves as the kings from the east. Now, I don't believe this is the proper explanation for the prophecy in Revelation chapter 16. Or it could be. But I would not want to be included among the kings of the east. I would not. Because if you are included among the kings from the east, what will happen to you? Well, let's keep reading the prophecy. Revelation 16, 12 to 14. That's what you see there. Remember the frogs? What was the purpose of the frogs? It says here, and I saw three unclean spirits like frogs. So the frogs in this case, it's not literal frogs like it was in Exodus. These are unclean spirits. Unclean spirits or spirits of demons. And so these frogs are going to come out. And what? Where will they come from? From the mouth of the dragon, mouth of the beast, and mouth of the false prophet. So these unclean spirits, spirits of demons, they will be working with the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Remember, the dragon, the beast, the false prophet, they have power. What is their work? To deceive. And in order to deceive, sometimes they're going to show miracles false miracles that will cause people to be deceived. So one of the things that the spirits, the unclean spirits like frogs are going to do is to convince the kings of the east to join them in their battle. That's why it says here, for they are spirits of demons performing signs. The reason why they're going to perform signs is so that they can go out to the kings of the earth And also the whole world and gather them to the battle that great day of God Almighty. So if you are included in the kings of the east, the Bible says the purpose for why the Euphrates River is going to dry up. Is so that the kings from the east will be convinced by the false prophet, the beast and the dragon to be on their side. To fight with them in this great battle that will take place on the great day of God Almighty. So they are included in this uh, gathering. So the purpose of the frogs, these evil demonic spirits, is to gather kingdoms, to gather kings. And those who will be convinced include the east, the kings from the east. And so... When the frogs will gather these kings from the east and also from other parts of the world, where will these frogs gather them to? Let's read Revelation 16. Behold, I am coming as a thief, blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his name. And they gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. There's this place called Armageddon. And that is the place where the false prophet, the beast, and the dragon through the instrumentality of unclean spirits, spirits of demons, who use signs and perform wonders. It is that place where the kings of the East and the other kings of the world are going to be gathered to. Armageddon. They're going to be gathered in Armageddon. Do you know what happens in Armageddon? A great slaughter. The kings of the east, the kings of the world will be slaughtered there in Armageddon. And once the slaughtering takes place, when Yahushua returns, the devil will be imprisoned for a thousand years. And then the uh, false prophet and the beast, what will happen to them? They'll be cast into the lake of fire. So nobody wants to be included or to be identified with. The kings from the east or the kings who will receive the spirit of the frogs. Nobody wants to be identified with them because that means they are going to be gathered in this place called Armageddon for their slaughtering. The kings from the east who will cross the Euphrates River are being gathered in Armageddon to be destroyed, to be slaughtered by King Yahusha when he returns. So that's the sixth bowl of wrath. So now we turn to the final bowl of wrath, the seventh bowl of wrath, and this is what happens. Uh, Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is dawn. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. We know Nowadays, there are many earthquakes happening, and we've heard of the devastation that earthquakes can bring upon humanity. However, this earthquake that will be the seventh bowl, right, it's unlike any other earthquake that has ever occurred on planet Earth. This is the earthquake. This is like an earthquake of earthquakes. Because it will be so devastating, and it's so devastating, what will happen to the great city. Now, the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. So all the cities of the nation would fall, okay? And great Babylon was remembered before God, to give her the cup of the wine of the fierces of his wrath. Then every island fled away, the mountains were not found, and great hail from heaven fell upon men each hailstone upon the weight uh, about the weight of a talent, men blaspheme God because of the plague of the hail since that plague was exceedingly great. And so because of the earthquake, the cities would fall. And so in the sixth trumpet event, we know that the the city the, a tenth of the city would fall in the sixth trumpet event, remember that? Because of the earthquake and because of the hail, this time, not a 10th of a city, all the cities are going to fall because of the earthquake. And on top of that, this plague will include a hailstorm and each hailstone weighs about a talent, which we know is about 100 to 200 pounds. Can you imagine a hailstone weighing that much? So you have the earthquake and you have the hailstone weighing about 100 to 200 pounds. Because this happened, you can already imagine all the cities of the world are going to be destroyed. There's going to be, I mean, if there's going to be survivors, not too many, but there will be survivors. Just to let you know, because the survivors of different nations during the millennial kingdom will be gathered together to worship Yahuwah in, the new, in Jerusalem when it's rebuilt, okay, when the, new, the temple is rebuilt. But here, when the seventh plague is announced, the seventh bowl of wrath. The Bible says the cities are going to fall. They're going to be destroyed by hailstones. And this corresponds to the hail, which is one of the 10 plagues of Egypt. In Exodus nine twenty four to 26, so there was hail and fire mingled with the hail so very heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt. All that was in the field, both man and beast, and the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. And so we can see that the events of the Exodus, which took place during the time of Moses, many of the patterns are repeating. There's a Pharaoh who is like the uh, the Antichrist figure. There is Egypt, which we know during the end times, Jerusalem will become like Egypt spiritually. There is the people of Israel during the days of Moses who need to be delivered. Also, there's going to be the people of Israel who need to be delivered during the outpouring of the wrath of Yahuwah. And so this tells us that Yahuwah's plan for redemption and restoration includes the bowl of wrath, because in the bowl of wrath, there are certain things that Yahuwah expects to happen. What is that? I mean, when you really think about it, the purpose of the wrath is to avenge, to place judgment, to judge, right? The beast and those who follow the beast. That's the purpose of Yahuwah's judgment. However, there's also a secondary purpose. What could that be? When we read the bowls, the fourth bowl, for example, this is what Yahuwah expected to happen. The Bible says in verse 9, and men were scorched with great heat. This is the fourth uh, bowl of wrath. And they blasphemed the name of God, who has power over these plagues. And they did not repent and give him glory. Now, when this is added in the scriptures about people not repenting and giving him glory, if this was added, one could suppose that Yahuwah is expecting people, that when this is happening, to repent, right? This is why it's written. And so there's this expectation that people witnessing this event, witnessing the demise of the beast and the people who worship the beast, they should be moved to repent and to return to Yahuwah and give him glory. This is what Yahuwah wants. This is why, when we look at the, the events, of the past and the events, even right now, everything that's happening in the world, especially when we, we are going through difficult times. Jehovah wants us to respond to these difficult times by repenting. Now the one thing we should never do when we go through something difficult is to blaspheme the name of God. The Bible says instead of repenting, so many people are going to blaspheme the name of God. However, this tells us again, the heart and long-suffering of Yahuwah, right? Do you see it? Despite many opportunities that people have passed on, even during this time, Yehovah is still giving the opportunity for people to repent, right? And that was true of the fourth angel. But instead of repenting, they blaspheme the name of God, the fifth, trump, the, the fifth bowl, they blasphemed God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and did not repent on, of their deeds. They still did not repent, fifth, by the fifth angel. And then when we look at the uh, seventh angel, this is the seventh bowl of wrath. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hell, since the, that plague was exceedingly great. At this point, there was no, no more opportunity for repentance. That was it. So the seventh bowl of wrath, that's it. And so when that's poured out, Then the Bible says it is done. Yahusha returns and and slaughters the people gathered there in Armageddon. And he brings his kingdom and leads the people who survive that they too can be included among the millennial kingdom. But, you know, even before the seventh, uh, even before the the plagues, even before the seven bowls of wrath, even during the sixth trumpet, this is what Yahweh expected. Verse 21, and they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. This was after the sixth trumpet event where the 200 million strong armies would be engaged in killing killing a third of mankind. Those who were not killed, they still did not repent. And so the Bible is telling us All these events leading up to the seventh bowl of wrath. Yahuwah is still expecting for people to return to him. To repent. And there are these specific things uh, that people need to repent from. Their murders. What else? Their sorceries. Right? Uh, Their sexual immorality and their thefts. So Yahuwah is waiting even to this very day, Yahuwah Elohim is waiting for people to repent and to return to Him and to glorify Him. And so before we conclude, brothers and sisters, are we presently glorifying Yahuwah? Because if we are not presently glorifying Yahuwah, and if we are not worshiping Him the best way that we can, it's time to repent. And it's time to return to our Father, Yahuwah. If Yahuwah, We are still alive. Praise Yahuwah. It means we have the opportunity to still repent. Right? Let's not waste that opportunity. Why must we not waste that opportunity? Let's read the book of Romans 2, 4 down to 5. Or do you know, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing That God's kindness leads you toward repentance. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Why must we not waste the opportunity to repent? Because if we waste the opportunity to repent, Bible says you are storing up wrath against yourself, For the day of God's wrath. We're still alive. Let us examine ourselves. Where am I? As far as my standing with Yahuwah is concerned. Am I actively worshiping him? Am I actively pleasing him and glorifying him with my life? Or am I not even thinking about him? Is my worship ritualistic? Is my heart given to Yahuwah? Do we surrender ourselves to his will? Absolutely. Or have we compromised? If that is the case, then we need to repent. Why do people not take the time to repent at all? Perhaps because their life is good. Life is easy. I'm being blessed right now. And so they don't realize that they are not in good standing with Yahuwah. This is why we need to examine ourselves, because if we are not being punished or disciplined by Yahuwah, it doesn't mean he's approving of what we're doing, because what people want, what people expect is if you sin, right, there's like this bolt of lightning from heaven, like on the spot, right, you take $10 from somebody's wallet, you steal something, and all of a sudden, (laughs) earthquake happens and you get crushed, (laughs) oh boy, I better repent, that's not the way it works, we have to examine ourselves, person can live in sin but still have good things happening to them. This is why the Bible says we need to make sure we don't waste the opportunity because the Bible says the reason why nothing terribly wrong is happening when someone is a sinner is because of the riches of his kindness, his tolerance, and patience. But what is the purpose of the richness of Yahuwah's kindness, tolerance, and patience? Bible says, God's kindness leads you toward repentance. Brethren, let us not postpone repentance. Let us not say, I will repent tomorrow. No, let us say, let us repent today. Every day should be a day of repentance. Let's not postpone it. Why must we not postpone repentance? Bible says, every time you postpone repentance, what happens to your heart when it's not repent? It becomes stubborn. It becomes hard. Does that sound familiar? It should, because if we go back to the days of Exodus, the times of Moses, what do we find? The stubbornness of Pharaoh, right? Remember what happened during the 10 plagues? The purpose of the plagues were to cause Pharaoh to repent and let the people of Elohim go. But look what happened after the first plague. What did he do? The first plague. Pharaoh's heart grew hard. So instead of repenting, it got hard, right? And so the sent the second plague was set. What happened when the second plague was set? The Bible says he hardened his heart. He did not heed Yahuwah. And so the third plague was set. And so what happened after the third plague? The Bible says, but Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them just. As Yahuwah had said. And so Yahuwah sent the fourth plague. And when the fourth plague was sent, maybe there's a change of heart, right? What happened? Bible says, but Pharaoh hardened his heart. And so Yahuwah sent a fifth plague. And so when the fifth plague was sent, what happened? But the heart of Pharaoh became hard. And so even after five plagues, the heart of Pharaoh Did not improve. In fact, instead of improving, it got worse. It became harder and harder and harder. He became more and more and more stubborn. And then the sixth plague happened. You know what happened during the sixth plague? When the sixth plague happened, notice what the Bible says. But Yahuwah hardened the heart of Pharaoh. And he did not heed them, just as Yahuwah had spoken to Moses. Do you notice a difference in the sixth plague compared to the first five plagues? What difference do you see in the sixth plague? Bible says Yahuwah was the one who hearted the heart of Pharaoh. In the first five plagues, Pharaoh did not respond with repentance. So it became harder and harder and harder until it reached a point of no return. This is why, brothers and sisters, we should not postpone repenting. Because every time we postpone repenting, our heart becomes harder until it reaches a point when Yahuwah says, Yahuwah, he will be the one to actually harden our hearts. In other words, no repentance will come to our rescue anymore. We're still alive, brethren. Let us take the opportunity to repent. Let us repent today. Unfortunately, the people of Allahim, when we look at the history of Yahuwah's nation, they have a tendency to be stubborn, right? And this was encoded in the book of Psalms. Psalms 95, 6 to 10, this is what it says. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before Yahuwah, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me. They tried me, though they saw my work. For 40 years, I was grieved with that generation. And I said, it is a people who go astray in their hearts. And they did not know my ways. Brothers and sisters, this is a pattern, a theme of scripture that's repeated again and again. What is it? The stubborn heart. When even though Yahuwah's was punishing and disciplining them, taking them through the wilderness, they still do not repent. It wasn't just the Pharaoh who had a problem with the hard heart. The people of Elohim throughout the history of the nation of Israel The people of Israel were known for their stubborn hearts. This is why the Bible says, Yahuwah is giving us this message. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. What was that? What was he talking about? The 40 years in the wilderness. Brethren, in many ways, we are like going through the wilderness right now, right? Going through the wilderness. Brethren, let's not harden our hearts. It's so easy to harden one's heart because one is so distracted. So one is no longer focused about what he he or she ought to be doing. So he forgets all about Yahuwah. His priority becomes the things of this earth. His priority is the wilderness, surviving the wilderness, when it should be to focus on glorifying Yahuwah. So the Bible says, do not harden your hearts. That pattern was true during the wilderness traveling. It's even true today. This is why in Hebrews 3, verses 13 and 15, which is about us, the disciples of Yahushua, because we too are in a journey going through the wilderness. Notice what the Apostle Paul tells us. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hearted by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end. The confidence we had at first. As has just been said today, if you you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. And so the pattern during the wilderness journey of hardening one's heart is also a pattern of our journey today for those who belong to Yahushua. This is why the Apostle Paul exhorts us from the first. Until the end, we need to hold fast our confidence in our king, Yahushua. How do we do that? By not hardening our hearts. By repenting. When should we repent? Every day. Bible says, encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. And then the Bible says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Every day, we need to open our hearts to Yahuwah. We need to confess our sins, and we need to return to him to glorify him so that we can finish our journey. We can complete our race. This is the message of Revelation. This is the message of Exodus. This is the message of Psalms. This is the message of the Bible. We need to repent every day and return to Yahuwah and glorify him so that we can complete our journey. The journey of faith that started when we first placed our hope and trust in Yahushua. Let's complete that. Fixing our eyes upon Yahuwah and upon his beloved son, Yahusha HaMashiach. That is our lesson. Let us stand for our prayer. Almighty and everlasting Father Yahuwah, thank you so much for your love and mercy. We know that you intend to save your people. Your whole purpose for why we go through tribulation is for us to be prepared. For us to be transformed through a true repentant heart. Father, teach us to repent every day. To examine ourselves every day. That we can always place our hope and trust in you. That we may complete our journey until the end. Father, we need you. Be there for your people. Father, if we have gone away from your precepts from time to time. Use instruments that we can be brought back to the right path. We don't want to stray away from you. We need you in our life. Father Yahuwah, be merciful upon us. Bless our children. We often think of them, especially during these last days. Nowadays, there's no emphasis anymore on the work of worshiping you. The work of humanism, the belief in evolution, the belief in science, to the point that they forget you, loving Abba, is the norm and the mainstream that young people adopt. Please protect and shield the minds and the hearts of our children, that when the time comes, all of us will be together to receive life everlasting. Father, bless each and every one of us when we grow weary from time to time, when we look up to you from heaven, loving Abba, show yourself strong to us. We need you, please forgive us all our sins and make us strong in our work. Our King Yahushua, we have faith in you. We trust you, though we have not seen you physically. We have felt your presence heard your voice in our hearts, encouraging and strengthen us. Please be with us every day in our walk on this earth, that when we are on this journey, you will always be by our side, leading us along the way. May you heal your servants, O King. May you help us to be prepared for your second advent, that when you appear in the clouds, we shall be with you forevermore to dwell in your kingdom. Father, we believe that you have listened to our prayers. For we ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua HaMashiach. Amen.